For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. My name is Marshall. How you doing, Tim? I'm good. Yeah? Good. Good, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Coffee in hand. It's beautiful. Oh, man. My drive. My drive into the church Mm -hmm. this morning. Mm, So nice. I could tell because your vehicle's covered in mud. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to take the route where I go by the most trees. Because the quickest route is up. Any listeners who don't live within like half an hour of of Memorial aren't going to get this, but the quickest road is up highway 59, but like it's, it's not the best drive. It's just, it's a country highway through farm fields. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. farm fields. Right. And so, but if you go like, if you go in a couple concessions, it's kind of like there's an alternate route that's like partly paved, but partly dirt, but it's like, it's also fields, but what's a, what's a concession way more, way more bush. I don't know. It's just a term for the roads in between. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's probably somebody listening will know why they're called concessions because the word concession mm-hmm. can mean something totally different. But mm-hmm. in any case, there's a different different country road that's like going through a lot more bush and you got like the like hundred plus year old maples hanging over top and like all the different colors and it was beautiful. Candace yeah. is going to hear this and be like, why did you take our new car down dirt roads again, Marshall? <laughs> sorry babe i love you okay that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today it does not it does not unless there's some sort of spin into like wholeness and Mm. connectedness with the universe that you have in those moments yeah or Um, maybe maybe we could say that like you know it's all leaves all these maple trees technically the same kind of tree but but this time like some of the leaves are green and some are yellow and orange and red and even almost deep purple and yet they're all still maple leaves but they're very very different they look very different from yeah. one another yeah i don't know that's longer <laughs> that's a longer leap and, <laughs> hopefully and, that'll make sense and in- probably the next podcast <laughs> so so today mm. we're going to continue our sort of survey of world religions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh just so that we can get a better idea who our neighbors are yep um, for one, it's wildly interesting. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. two, you you can't tell someone that you care about them, you love them and care about them if you don't want to know anything about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I, I I believe if I was just gonna soapbox this for a moment, I, I believe that far too often in Christianity we've been told, um, you should love your neighbor as yourself, mm. and part of that love is sharing with them the truth of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we've only heard share with them the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm. And and loving them isn't just telling them what you know. Mm-hmm. It's also listening and knowing who they are mm-hmm. and where they're at. Right. Um, and quit answering questions that people aren't asking just mm-hmm. to say, I don't really care what your questions are, or what you have to say, right? This is the answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this isn't to to sort of bring down the peaks and fill up the valleys and and call all things equal knowledge worth knowing Mm. it's just to say love is listening to people Mm -hmm. and and knowing something about them 
taking a little time for them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a conversation with someone about what they believe and you at least come to it with even the most kind of basic understanding, like that you've taken at least a little bit of time and maybe that time is listening to this podcast to understand kind of where they're they're coming from and so that you can ask questions and you can be like, well, what's your view on this? Or how do you see it? Right? Like people will be Im- impressed. I think I- I've had that experience before where speaking with a Muslim, for example, and being having a kind of basic familiarity with the Quran. Right. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. So like y- yeah. you don't just learn about who my people are from, you know, the CBC or Fox news or CNN or whatever that you've mm-hmm. actually taken a bit of time to actually understand us. Yeah, and it it absolutely makes sense, right? Because um what we what we see in our own minds is we have the truth delivered to us by God himself. Mm-hmm. And it is imperative that they know and follow this truth. Mm-hmm. I get that. I'm not I'm not backing down from that mm-hmm. in any way. Um but if they came to us with a similar conviction and just said, da, 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 da. no, 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 no. Everything you ever thought was true is not true. Mm. This thing that you've never heard of, which is a wild departure from what you ever believed, mm-hmm. is actually true. Mm-hmm. I got like 10 minutes <laughs> if you just want to change the course of your life forever. <laughs> That's right. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to hear that and you're going to be like, that was weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I hung up the phone, or I shut the door, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? Right. Um, and and we shouldn't just assume, oh well, my message to them is going to be different, right? It's going to when I do that for them, they're going to be like, whoa, I was just sitting here thinking, I <laughs> wish someone could unravel everything that <laughs> I've ever known as security and everything that has ever given me any kind of purpose in life, and and just a few short sentences or a mass produced booklet. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And, <laughs> and, and so, so learning about people is, is critical in loving people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's a part of this as well. Uh, and, and part of it too, is just learning how to move some of those conversations from tell me about yourself mm-hmm. to here's what I believe is true about the world. Mm-hmm. Here's some questions I have about your own faith. How would you answer these questions? Yep. And then maybe we can weigh those together. Mm-hmm. Are those are those better answers? Mm-hmm. Are they inferior answers? Do you have answers at all, right? Like how, mm-hmm. do, how do we handle this and what do we do with it? Yeah. Um, so today, Hinduism. Hinduism, yeah. And so the one of the kind of practical reasons why... Um, an episode on Hinduism is is worth doing is because there are 800,000 or more actually Hindus in Canada and uh, most of whom live in Ontario. So our own backyard, so to speak. And so that makes it the third largest religion. If you, you know, if you group all the Christian denominations together, it is the third largest religion in Canada, which is also the third largest religion in the world after of course, Christianity and Islam. And it is, debatably some people claim that it's the oldest that's a debatable claim that maybe we'll get into yeah especially when you look at their concept of time and dimensions of time yeah yeah so they're yeah so arguably the oldest um as far as i've seen in the study that i've done uh, in comparative religions and and looking at different 
um, faiths, definitely the most complex religious system. Um, and more, more than any other um, faith group that we've discussed so far, um, there's an extreme diversity and it's very difficult to pin down. Like when I was prepping and, and researching for this podcast, I would go, you know, I, w- I would access resources that were written by Hindus and get totally different. Oh, this is the tenets, core tenets of our faith. This is what we believe. Oh, about yeah. this. this is what we, and it's, oh, yeah. And they, they didn't line up. And, and again, so for, for me, I'm like, Oh, that doesn't, that's a problem. But again, within Hinduism, they're like, nope, not a problem. And so, so it's just very, so we have to kind of prepare ourselves to understand that like the approach within Hinduism to what one believes and what is true is just very different than what our, our Western minds are comfortable with. Yeah, so we're we're not even really talking about things like denominational differences mm-hmm. where you you say this is where they were all uh, identifiably walking in unity these are the points of departure mm-hmm. these are the primary tenets of the faith secondary tertiary sure kind of kind of opportunities or options uh, of interpretation we're, we're talking like just wildly different mm. the number of gods that a hindu recognizes can be from like the teens mm-hmm. to like some would argue just over the edge of a million right <laughs> like or a hundred thousand or it's just these wild wild numbers mm-hmm. and and everything in between yeah and and in some ways in the We've we've said that these things can be true of the last couple of religions that we've looked at, but not to this degree at all. No, not at all. No. Not not even close. No. Yeah, no. There's there's much more um, uniformity in Sikhism um, and in the Baha'i faith, and yeah. definitely in Islam. Because that was uh, going to be my next question: is like even even with Baha'i, yeah, being absolutely universalist. Yeah. But they're universalist in a in a similar way, right? They're they're <laughs> similarly universalist, right? They're 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 um, what am I looking for? Their sacred writings are two ish, ish, yeah, yeah, two yeah. groupings, yeah, yeah, and and even that is more exclusive mm-hmm. than uh, than what Hinduism mm-hmm. can be for sure. Yeah. yeah, and in Hinduism, this is true with a lot of religions. Mm-hmm. Hinduism just happens to say it out loud. It's not just a religion; it's also a culture. Right, right, right. Yeah, and they they are more willing to openly say, um, "I'm I practice Hindu culture, mm-hmm. but not the faith." Right. Right. Whereas, whereas we would be better off in the church if more people would say, "I practice Christian culture, but not the faith." Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. It would definitely uh, make certain. It would bring clarity. <laughs> it would. There you go. Um, before we get into the history, let's talk just briefly about the even just the name of mm-hmm. Hinduism. Um, it's thought one one of the theories of the origins of the name for Hinduism that it comes from the old. Sanskrit word. It's related to the 
Indus River Valley, which is an extremely important, the Indus River is a, a very important river that kind of begins in the Himalayas and like Tibet and then flows through India and Pakistan into the Arabian Sea. And, um, you know, it was the home of a very important uh, civilization long ago. And yeah, and so that, so the name kind of, it's a, it, there's a geographical connection potentially. That's one, one theory. Um, I don't know if you came across anything different than that. No, that's so. So what I saw um, was the same. It, it comes from from Sanskrit and the uh, Indo-European tradition. Mm-hmm. So I I don't assume that everyone. I I, I know probably ninety percent of the people listening. Mm. Or if we want to throw back to jokes we haven't made in the day, like one one of our listeners I know <laughs> happens to be uh, a nerd when it comes to language histories okay cool uh the other one i'm not sure about okay um so so forgive me if this feels like talking down to you when we talk about indo-european culture Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about the history of languages Mm -hmm. things that have indo-european linguistic roots Mm -hmm. and when we talk about language roots we talk about like oh you can hear latin Inside of Spanish, Italian, French, French, Portuguese, sure. those kinds of things, right? No, 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 no. We're talking about roots that make English and Arabic the same language. Yeah, the cousins. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about we're talking about roots that make Hindi and German, right? So, so in this, you have like you have this idea. That there are the tonal languages okay. in the Far East. Right, yeah. And then you have the more alphabetic languages that deal less with uh, the emphasis and the tone that you place mm. on a mm-hmm. sound and more just mm-hmm. the collection of sounds put mm-hmm. together, which yeah. I think most people would just say, well, the collection of sounds put together is how you say. Mm. That, that's just what language is. No, in, in the Far East... Um, some, the look on your face and the sort of like if you went up or down can completely change the, the what the word means. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, so all languages that are constructed, this is probably an oversimplification, but basically all languages that are constructed from sounds being sewn together mm. share a common ancestry known as the Indo-European root language. Yeah. So we're throwing back to culture like we're talking like we're talking power way- of Babel. Yeah, pretty much. Kind of history. Yeah. All right. So when we when we say like theories that the word came from, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. These are seriously deep <laughs> roots. All right. Yeah. This is this is not Baha'i, which is like yeah. you no, know like a couple hundred years ago. Right. <laughs> and so so what I what I saw again was uh Sindhu mm. um was maybe an original way mm-hmm. to say it. Uh, it starts spreading as they traveled eastward mm-hmm. uh, and settled uh, in in what is now the the sort of homeland of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. There, it morphed into Hindu, uh, and as the Greeks make their way, mm. um, Alexander changes everything. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and and that's when it becomes yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, so let's the like like that that sets up the history then I think. Yeah. Because, um, because yeah, because essentially, the origins of Hinduism are kind of left back in the mist of time to some degree. Right, because the origins, like as far as when people believe that some of these beliefs and traditions originated, was before they were mm-hmm. really writing things down. So you've got this this lack of clarity on when did it all start. So like some Hindus like to say like, oh, our, our religion is you know five thousand years old, or even much much older. Um, the part of that part of that is because. Um, in some of the Hindu texts, they describe these very long cycles of like ages that repeat over and over right. again that, you know, are like hundreds of thousands of years long each and add up to millions and millions of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's. That, I, I guess the best way to describe that, mm-hmm. and, and we'll get into it more when we talk about the theology of it. Sure, sure. Is that uh, in the same way that we would recognize reincarnation as a, a tenant. Mm-hmm. of their faith mm-hmm. uh the entire universe reincarnates yeah it's a reincarnation of the universe and, and so yeah. so they would even say some of them would even say like oh no this universe has been reincarnated like 12 times and we believed all these things to be true in the previous 12 incarnations as right. well right. so this is billions of years old oh yeah right? and at some point you just got to be like not verifiable <laughs> yeah yeah we can't can't check that one um yeah so in all likelihood the earliest form of Hinduism came from, um, yeah, kind of arose in that Indus River Valley um, civilization, which is one of the oldest in the world. Like we're talking, so it peaked around 2000 BC. So this is, you know, the the time of the pyramids, mm-hmm. right? This is before the Babylonian Empire, as, as it you right. Know. Um, so yeah. this is we're going we're going back away, and it this period is known as the pre-Vedic. So before the Vedas, the Vedas are kind of the first batch of holy books and texts that are written. Yeah, and, and for my numbers, I just have anywhere from 2300, 1500 to 1050. Yeah. Right? Like it's pretty all of this this spread of of when they would say. But like you said, the claim of the oldest. Yeah. The I, the reason I I just don't want to move on from that just yet. Yeah, no, no, that's not the claim what happens inside of the claim of the oldest is there is good reason to give validity to the oldest mm-hmm. right mm. we do this all the time right if if i came into the church on well you're preaching this sunday mm-hmm. if i came into the church next sunday and i said i have an entirely new interpretation on the person of jesus christ <laughs> The church would rightly be upset. Yep. If that were true, why wasn't it known for 2,000 years? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? When we look at the most verifiable biblical passages, we say, well, we have physical evidence of these passages mm-hmm. that go back thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's, there's good reason for this. Mm-hmm. When they say these things were believed but not written down until. Mm -hmm. But we can go back further than that. And then they'll look and they'll say the Judeo-Christian tradition began with... Moses. Moses. Sometimes is where they'll go. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is that where it began? 
Right. He's not the father or the founder of the faith. Right. He's the first to write him down. Right. And and that's just not a fair claim. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, you got. You can't have it both ways, right? No, no, no. I would agree with that. And and so that's that's an important thing worth acknowledging, mm-hmm. right? So if, mm-hmm. if anyone wanted to use um, the argument of of the ancient nature of mm-hmm. Hinduism mm-hmm. as something that must then just be intrinsic knowledge woven into the universe and into the human soul. Mm-hmm. Because it has been around forever, mm-hmm. and you say, "Well, yeah, arguably, it would be similar at best, yeah, with yeah. the Jewish, yeah, religion, yeah." And there's there are like some parallels, especially like once you get into like what we would call the the Vedic period, which is like when things begin to be written down. But even that, there's there's a, a wide range. Mm-hmm. So like the range that one of the ranges I saw was like 1750 to 500 BC. And to, to kind of, for, for people who are more familiar with the Bible, that's like from the time that the Hebrews are in slavery in Egypt to the return from Babylonian exile, mm-hmm. thereabouts. Yeah. So essentially the time frame where the Old Testament is written. So it's around the same time, theoretically, that these, um, these Vedas are being written. And at the time, like the dominant group of people were the Indo-Aryans, now, when we say Ary- Aryan in the in the twenty twenty first century context, people think of Nazi Germany. Um, that's not who the Aryans were. Yeah, um, they weren't little blonde haired, blue eyed fräuleins. They were people who lived in the um, the Central Asian steppe, so the same place that the Mongolians and the Huns and all these other people groups came from. Um, and so they were kind of the dominant dominant people group who kind of moved into India and progressively settled there. Um, yeah. And, and actually that's when we begin to see things getting written down. And like we mentioned before with these relationships of language, there's also some scholars who notice like as names of certain deities are being written down in Sanskrit, they're seeing parallels with similar, um, you know, small g gods in the pantheons of the Greeks, the Persians, mm-hmm. and the even the Germanic gods. Mm-hmm. So there's like this weird... So again, like, and, it, and it's, it makes sense in a, in a way that there would be commonalities in, in not just the language, but in the belief systems, right? That certain names were associated with certain things. And so we, we can actually see that, which is, which is wild to me. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so as these people, so again, like, like most societies, right, they're, they're pastoralists, um, they're almost all illiterate, um, and so it's, these are like kind of like family, clan, tribal traditions being passed down, but as they transition from being, you know, uh, shepherds to farmers and farmers to city folk things start to kind of take on a bit of a, of a more kind of unified, although that's a, maybe a bit stretched, but more a bit more structure. Yeah, there, there starts to become some level of continuity. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is just going to come from being in a place where you have ideas bumping up against other ideas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so even... <laughs> just thought of like the worst analogy ever mm. um way way back in the day okay way back in the day adam sandler okay did this movie called water boy <laughs> 
and he's standing he's standing in or he's sitting in in his class he's it's his first time ever in like a formal school setting at university and they're talking about the temperament of alligators (laughs) and he says my mom always said alligators are angry or cranky whatever it is because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush and everyone laughs at him. Right, right. And even the professor laughs at him. And uh, but, but there's something to this, mm. right? When these are sort of family groups and clans scattered all over the place, mm-hmm. you can pass along whatever sort of wild thing sticks, right? Yeah, like my just, mom always said, just old wives' tales. Right? Throw it. Yeah. But even those get tested eventually as they get passed down. Eventually, right? yeah. But as people sort of move in together, mm. someone throws up an idea, everyone in the room looks at them and goes, I don't know the answer, but I'm pretty sure that ain't it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that is a natural process of refining thought. Mm-hmm. Right? And in those processes, either the most logical idea is going to succeed or the idea belonging to the most powerful person an influential person in the room is going to succeed. Yep. Right? And and that is where we're going to, even if we've already made the argument there's little continuity in Hinduism, mm-hmm. um, that is where any form of of that is going to take place. Mm-hmm. I, I Now, just to do a quick Christian history connection on this, a lot of times people will say, the church hid all of these secret writings. Oh, yeah, yeah. All of these things they didn't want you to know about, all of this kind of stuff, they hid them as a power play. Right. No. Christianity comes from an underground faith uh, because of persecution to a very much above ground faith. And they all get together and say, listen, we've all been teaching the same thing, except for that guy over there keeps talking about this thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And we got to bring us. We got to bring a stop to that. Yep. Or we've we've all been talking about this conceptually, but we've never given it a name, an identity. I'm thinking Trinitarianism. What do you think? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And these are the books we've been using. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just let people know these are the books that we all agree on. Yep. Yeah, right for sure. and and when everybody else wants to look at and be like oh they just created all of this stuff at Nicaea right and and look at how late Nicaea is and all this other stuff. no it's just as they were able to freely talk about it they were able to say no listen these are the things that we know to be true that's fringe mm-hmm. and so that is where Christianity saw its first refining process really mm-hmm. um, in the post apostolic period and then Hinduism is going to do a similar thing as, like you said, they start moving from mm-hmm. rural life into more urban centers. Yeah, no, for sure. And and so here's when the Vedas begin to emerge, and we can talk more specifically about about what they are. But essentially, they're these like epic, they're epic poems. Really, is what they are. Epic, very long. Yes, and very epic. Some uh, of them, some of them, like there's one I can't remember the name of it, but single poem. Mm. longer than the Bible. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So as these are being written, there, there's a, kind of a priesthood that begins to develop 
right? In a priestly class, which again, hasn't taken its full form yet, but is going to be very important mm-hmm. um, in, in the life um, of the people of India and those who practice Hinduism. Um, and a lot of the worship at this stage, though, is like really ritual focused. It's not like they're, they're not getting deep into like philosophical things and, and tough doctrinal issues. It's more just about kind of like these sacrifices and rituals and reciting the stories. Um, and how this, these sacrifices are different than from what we might understand for those who are more familiar with the Old Testament is that it's actually the, the parts of the sacrifice are given divine, imbued with divine identity. So the fire is mm-hmm. divine, which the, the fire, the fire God's name is Agni, which is related to ig, the, the Latin Igni for fire, which again, just kind of a cool another connection where you have like mm-hmm. igneous rock and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Right? Um, but anyways, but even so then they also kind of like they drink this like fermented drink that comes from a plant as part of the ritual. But that fermented drink and the plant it comes from is also called Soma and it's it's imbued with this divine identity. So everything around them begins to kind of take on this divine nature. And so that's, again, that's a big departure from, you know, what's going on in other parts of the world, right? Right. It's not even just like there's yeah. a pantheon. It's not, it's not one God. And it's not even just like a pantheon. It's just like everything around them is somehow divine. Yeah. Right. And they have two kinds, they have divine gods that are like related to like physical things like the weather and fire and water or whatever. And also gods that are just kind of representative of like concepts like marriage, justice and this and that. And so like this one, this is when things start to really expand. Cause like, where do you, where do you, where do you stop that? Right. Like if every, if everything could theoretically be divine or there's divinity in everything, Mm -hmm. it, it begins to kind of expand. And, and, I, I don't want us to just take this notion and just toss it. No. Because there's more validity to it. How's that for clickbait? Mm. The Baptist pastor says there's some, some validity to this. Oh. There's more validity to it than we would maybe give at a surface level. Mm. We will say all day long, the purpose of the physical universe Mm. was to express the glory of its creator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything in this universe has a place to hold mm-hmm. in the representation of his glory. Mm-hmm. That they would look at natural creation mm-hmm. and say, I see a spark of divine. Mm-hmm. Is the natural revelation doing what it was intended to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they would give it divinity is an overstep. Mm-hmm. It's what the human heart wants to do because it wants to worship. Mm-hmm. But the thing itself is showing a hint at, a spark of mm-hmm. the divine glory of its creator. Mm-hmm. That's just being misinterpreted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so I, I, I could see us just being like, strangely and maybe maybe not strangely maybe it would be a, a common thing to do to take this and just be like oh and that tree's divine and oh the leaf on the tree's divine and oh the bark and the park that it's in right mm-hmm. there's a hole in the ground and the green grass mm-hmm. grew all around and all of these things are divine <laughs> right right and and then just laugh it off and walk away mm-hmm. and ourselves miss the spark of glory mm-hmm. that is inside of that thing mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. God is using to show his glory. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that that is a like that I think there's a there's a like you said, there's a natural tendency within the human heart to do that because of because we we want to be connected to something beyond ourselves, but everything around us is more tangible, right? And we, the reason we think we might think, oh, that's silly, or why would they ever think that way, is because again, we're we're coming from a spiritual and religious tradition where the second commandment was no images, don't bow down before anything. I'm God. I'm not like stuff. And so we've had the benefit of, you know, 4,000 years of that teaching being upheld. Um, and so again, but but the reason the reason that commandment was there is because God knew the tendency of their hearts. Because yeah. if I don't tell you not to worship images, you're going to worship images. If I don't tell you, tell you not to worship things, you're going to worship things because that's the brokenness of the human heart. And, and our tendency. And even after he told us, they <laughs> did it anyways. The church, in, not just not just the Old Testament. <laughs> no, I know. Not just the high places and the poles. Oh, I know. In in a very similar way, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church has the patron saint of everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That cup of coffee you poured this morning somewhere, there's a patron saint of that particular cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Well, and the bread becomes the literal body and mm-hmm. the cup becomes the literal blood because it has to be. Right. Right? And so, yeah, no, there's, yeah, it, we, yeah, so we in fall the, in the same thing. In the same way the Catholic tradition would, would just take a patron saint of everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of what the Hindus did with this as yeah. well. So, around 500 BC, there's a kind of a split. And again, don't think of Hinduism at this stage or really at any stage as one singular thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a parallel, a bunch. It's I, a I would bunch say it's of, more of a school of thought. It's a it's a family of faiths mm-hmm. th- that are kind of yeah, all developing in parallel and sometimes intersect with one another and sometimes don't. And that's just kind of what's happening. Um, but there's a couple big breaks around 500 BC. Uh, Jainism and then, of course, Buddhism, which is very important. Um, so these are... These, again, are all rooted in the same kind of early family of faiths, but they kind of, they take more of a departure than those other beliefs that would kind of still fall within the fold. Mm -hmm. And of, because essentially, because I think both Buddhism and Jainism go a little bit closer at saying, this is what this is. This is the thing. Whereas Hinduism's more fluid and diverse and... Yeah. Yeah. So... More important things that are written, these poems, the uh, Ramayana, the Mahabharata, um, parts of which became known as the um, Bhagavad Gita, which is probably the one of the most important um, texts within the very many texts, mm-hmm. um, at so, least right now, because that changes. Like it, yeah, and, and what's in these texts is, is going to change, right? They, they each have their emphasis. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. one of them is a songbook. Right. Um, and some of them are just sort of like epic stories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I got to fund something for show and tell. Okay. What do you got? Oh. I own a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Wow. And, and it's a nicely hardcover bound copy. Wow. God talks with Arjuna. Huh. The Bhagavad Gita. Cool. And so it's it's I see one. translated and it's a commentary. So if you think about oh, okay. if you think about like a study Bible kind of a thing where you have the text and commentary, 
Um, that's what this is. Hmm. And I, I know that when we talked about Islam, I, I joked about going to Value Village and grabbing a copy of the, uh, of the Quran. That's literally where my copy of the Quran came from. It's also where my copy of the Bahagavakita came from. Actually, now that I say that, it might not have been Value Village. It might have been Talese hmm. and Kitchener. But anyway, Interesting. I don't think that's the part people care about. Um, yeah. Sweet. I just thought it would be. Very cool. And I read both. It's in two volumes. I read both volumes to prepare for today. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it's fun to flip through. I was kind of flipping through it, just kind of noticing at, certain things. At one point, I thought like, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna scan through this mm. and like grab out some things here and there, mm-hmm. um, but when you find out that they have dozens upon dozens of holy texts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that this is just one of them, yeah, it's one that because of its um, emphasis on philosophy, the philosophy mm-hmm. of religion, um, and kind of a very more a uniform and concise approach than a lot of other expressions it's risen to prominence in more recent years so like this is going to sound maybe a little crass but like white people who become hindus are going to lean going to tend to lean more to something like the bhagavad gita because it's systematized and organized and there's a there's a pattern to follow unlike some of the other texts that are are very much different just very different yeah and 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 probably too as globalization takes place Mm -hmm. uh and eastern thought comes into contact with western thought Mm -hmm. this is maybe the the more reasonable bridge Mm -hmm. between the two yeah for sure um yeah so here's the thing too we need to we need to uh keep in mind as well like india and you mentioned this with alexander india is still being influenced by outside world events right Mm -hmm. so they're still coming into contact so the west you know their their west which is still our east um but is coming into contact with them right so like persian empire rises and takes control over much of india alexander the great right famously comes all the way through and there's uh iskandar right? It's like, that's Alexander, like that's Alexandria, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there's all these like, cur- like these, these stories and these kind of connections that happen. Yeah. In fact, what I was, what I was going to say before you whispered mm-hmm. to tell me to stop, <laughs> if we get to come to this part. Just because we had like 15 minutes in between. <laughs> is the idea that, uh, I, I hope people can go back in here. You whisper, <laughs> you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> um, the, the word, the, the Sindhu morphing into hindu mm. and then argue the argument is the greeks take that mm. um and and their pronunciation of it is india mm. and that's where the the country or the region at that mm. time mm. Um, but the country gets its name even today that's cool that's how related some people would say hinduism is with the people of india yeah yeah that deep yeah and yeah, and that that kind of continues to some degree for for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially, in the kind of the last couple hundred years before the time of Christ and a few hundred years after, Hinduism kind of further takes shape and is further cemented, um, mostly under the influence of the Brahmins who had kind of 
who had existed for a while, but really emerged as the priestly class in Indian society, the upper priestly class, the the most educated, the most influential group of people in in the various societies that made up the greater kind of Indian subcontinent. Yeah, one thing that I just want to point out, um, a thing that we haven't said, mm. we've we've talked about groups of peoples and families of peoples and, mm. and that sort of thing. We've not talked about a single person. No. And the reason is, there's no single person to, to talk about. Not at this point, no. No, there's really not. So for yeah. ev- for every other faith that we've carried on, there's always been a moment where a guy did a thing, mm-hmm. had an encounter, and that birthed the faith. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. To be clear, Christianity has that. Yep. The guy is God himself. Right. <laughs> revealing himself through, right? And mm-hmm. And a number of people leveling that playing field all the way through mm-hmm. until the person of Jesus Christ, who is God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just none of that. Yeah, there's no founding prophet. There's no founding teacher. Right? No. There's, yeah. not, even, not even major person of influence. No. And what goes, what is even more interesting in all of that is we're, we're not even talking about like before the writings. Mm-hmm. We're in the era of the writings mm-hmm. and coming to the close of the the first era of writings, mm-hmm. and still the people doing the writing are not recognized as mm-hmm. prophets known by name mm-hmm. with temples marked after them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't say, as Paul right. let us know in his letter to Thessalonica, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't have that kind of equivalence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this, I don't even know how to, to describe is this communal thought that just sort of like swells and matures and deviates and um, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's, it's unlike what we were accustomed to for sure. Yeah. And again, it's, I think in part because there's going to be like very localized expressions of it. Right. And like what, what is happening in one area is going to be related to, but quite distinct from another. And, you know, they, in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, they're not even really like different kind of subsects of Hinduism. And this continues. They're not even like focusing on the same texts. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. aware of all the things that are out there or some of the things that are out there, but they're, they're leaning more on other, other things. There also does get to be a bit of a point where all, the Vedas and a lot of these foundational scripts were originally written in Sanskrit and Sanskrit isn't always spoken by the common people. And it's kind of preserved and continued by this Brahmin priestly class who kind of determine to some degree what's important and what's not, what's going to be emphasized and what isn't um, based on, you know, their sphere of influence. And so all this is happening, you know, in a pretty large area or over a pretty large area with a lot of people and, and not one unified nation even Mm -hmm. uh, in, in many instances. So like, it's just, yeah, things are just kind of happening. And it's like, again, 
that's why it's more like a family of religions rather than one faith, really. And my my outsider Western opinion mm. is that the reason it's so confusing and hard to pin down mm-hmm. is because it doesn't have an anchor. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a point of reference mm-hmm. or an authority uh, to consult. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I think it's in France. There is a a bar of steel that is temperature controlled. Right. That is the world's reference for a meter. Yeah. Because a meter can be anything you want it to be. Mm. And, you know, a hundred of them is a kilometer. A thousand, a thousand of them is a kilometer. Yeah. Um, and, but how, how long does one of them need to be? Right. It's arbitrary. Mm. So you need a reference. Right. And so if ever you're looking at your meter stick and you're like, why does this one feel short? All you got to do is load that thing up, fly to France. <laughs> and you can find out. Measure. I think it's, I should actually look that up before I just throw it out there. But no, I, don't want, I just great. don't want people flying to France just to find out that it's in Germany. No, I, it, we, I'm... Because they would be upset with I'm me. I'm almost positive it's in France. Okay. Because I think it was a... Napole- yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a Napoleonic thing. Look it up before you book your tickets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. okay, so... Yeah, so... There is there are empires that kind of arise, Indian empires, the Gupta Empire, building building temples, uh, artwork, a lot of more depictions. Kind of those depictions that when you think of like the Hindu depictions of like of the gods, right, and what that looks like, that begins to kind of take shape in the you know three hundreds to six hundred A.D. That, so colorful and so creative. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, beautiful artwork. Um, and you know, there's still there's ongoing competition for the hearts and minds of the people in India with these offshoots of Buddhism and Jainism. Um, and then, but, but essentially there's certain empires that favor the Hindu approach and that, that kind of keeps them going, keep, keeps it kind of in, on the forefront of people's minds. Mm-hmm. And there's all these new writings and new, there's gurus and, and what they might refer to as saints, but again, kind of, Kind of in the same way that like the Catholic Church views saints as not necessarily like semi divine, but there's so many of them and they're so localized, like who can name all the Catholic saints? Like you couldn't. Yeah. And there's gonna be more in Hinduism. So um they're just kind of influential people, but it's often very influential for a short period of time in a specific place. Not these kind of massive leaders with a with a wide influence. Um yeah, and, and even like you're saying with with the the individual gods and the the fact that these gods can pop up here and there and mm-hmm. and uh, you can even take in Hinduism you can even take a well known god mm-hmm. and com- write an entirely different narrative on what that god looked like mm-hmm. and what they did mm-hmm. and that's perfectly acceptable. Oh yeah, right. It's called for. Those of you who are into this sort of thing, it's called an avatar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Which is the expression of of one coming down, right? Like mm-hmm. the the condescension of a god into mm-hmm. uh, a manifestation. Yeah. Or, yep. And but in different moments, that could be through taking on different forms mm-hmm. to do different kinds of tasks. Mm-hmm. And so you can read about one particular god mm-hmm. and think that was a fascinating story mm-hmm. uh, and then find someone else's book on that God by that name mm-hmm. and it'd be an entirely different story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's acceptable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
then as we get closer to like more modern times, um, the people of India, like they went through a lot. And we talked about this a little bit in the episode on Sikhism, but the conquest by Muslim empires. So first like the Turkic people, then the Mughal empire. Um, some of these guys allowed freedom of religion for a price. So that's how it works in Muslim empires is like, if, if they're more lenient, then you can practice alternatives faiths if you pay a special fine, essentially, mm-hmm. to, to not be Muslim. Uh, but others just persecuted them um, significantly. Uh, eventually, the British Empire shows up. Jolly old England shows up um, and defeats the Mughal Empire. And then so then they take control of India and the surrounding region from 1757 until just after the Second World War. And... So it's during that time that there begins to be a bit of a, what some have referred to as a renaissance in Hinduism, partly because of the, I, I, I wonder at least if it's based on the connection with um, with the Western world all of a sudden, because it's like, how, how, how do they respond or how do they, how do they kind of, how does Hinduism work? in a modernizing world. Mm-hmm. And so one key figure, and again, this is, we're getting very recent here in the early 1800s was a guy by the name of uh, Ram Mohan Roy. And so his, his real push was to try and demonstrate how Hinduism could be both like a rational and ethical religion that could work in the modern world. Right. That, it, you know, so, so again, it promoted a, a shift of beliefs away from, some of what um, even he called the more superstitious parts of Hinduism. Um, it actually, it's almost monotheistic. And that's why you might hear some Hindus actually say, because people will say, oh, there's you know 300 million gods or whatever. And they're like, oh no, but really it's monotheism. It's not, but sometimes it kind of is. If you're, if you're allowed to do what you want with it, yeah, then then this is an option that some people have chosen mm-hmm. in the face of mm-hmm. uh, wanting to operate in a world with modern science mm-hmm. and the logic of a singular creative God. Yeah, and and so I, I've had, um, like I've had, I, I went on that spiritual retreat place. Oh, yeah, just yeah, Just to yeah. get away and ended up being like an, a place, like it was like, a, it was like a, oh, what's the word for it? There's a word for for these places where you go in Eastern religions. Anyways, I didn't realize that when I booked it. I, so yeah, that was awesome. It was me and a bunch of like Hindus and Buddhists and like and mystical people, and who found it. I was a Christian pastor and just wanted to like pick my brain. And I spoke with one young man who had just come over from India, um, spoke perfect English with an like a British accent, and very intelligent. And he was of the more kind of monotheistic stream from from that was kind of mm-hmm. started by this guy. And so kind of the the kind of the elite, very wealthy family, obviously, the kind of elite, highly educated Hindus are going to lean more mm-hmm. towards this almost monotheistic thing. Um, that's relatively new, kind of, although that's, that's debated. Yeah, I, I wonder, so we talked in the Church History Podcast about uh, how liberal theology began in Germany based on the desire to uh, have Christian thought accepted mm-hmm. in expressly secular academia mm-hmm. of of Germany as its starting point, but, mm-hmm. but that's spreading. I wonder if classic 
Hindus, for whatever that might mean, uh, look at this sort of deviation in the same way. Yeah. They would say you're compromising yeah. tenets of, of the faith mm-hmm. uh, in order to to find some relevance in, in an academic world. It's certainly less like less ritualistic. And so then after this guy, another name that people don't need to remember, but I'm going to try to say it anyways. Uh, Paramhamsa Ramakrishna, who he 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 took it kind of one step further and kind of tried to push for a common identity of all Hindus, which ironically hadn't really existed up until like the modern history. And and the reason for that is because India was wanting to gain their independence. This is the late 1800s. It's picked up in the early 1900s by a guy named Gandhi. You might have heard of him. Um, who was a very, very influential figure in um, advancing the cause of Indian independence. And the Hindu identity, people don't know this, but the Hindu identity was really used to galvanize support, to, to create a, a nationalistic identity of this is what it, what it means to be Indian is, is Hindu. And we're going to describe and define Hinduism in a way that people can associate with so that the idea of being Hindu and Indian are synonymous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea is if we are going to be independent, Mm -hmm. we are going to have to come together around something and we need, we need to know like, what are we coming together around? Mm -hmm. What, what is our, our basis, our commonality, the thing that, that causes us to say we are a unit, an Mm -hmm. identifiable people group Mm -hmm. who have historically and desire to hold an identifiable piece of land mm-hmm. and self-govern. Right. 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 And and so Hinduism is the place to do that. So here's the thing. We're going to stop there. Okay. We're going to call that the end of part one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll record part two and pass that on. Uh, they'll be two week, They'll be a week apart as per usual, but five minutes apart in our world. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you in a bit.